Welcome, this is Matt Burford on Tactical Faith Radio. I'm about to interview somebody that is near and dear to me. I met him uh, going on, what What would it be now, Mark? What, 10, 11, 12, 34, 16 years ago? Yeah, about 16 years ago, that's right. Good gracious, I was in my 20s and you were in your... <clears throat> Something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little older. So we met we met at Beeson Divinity School in 2003. We were part of that class. Uh, I uh, connected with Mark uh, pretty quickly. Mark uh, was an old soul in a young 30s body, and I was I was young, but I didn't have an old soul. Uh, but he had been he had been doing ministry a lot longer than me, and um, he had all kinds of stuff and stories to talk about, and we kind of uh, just spent our time together in seminary and he had his family with him. He had a growing family. I was married, but at the time we met, I didn't have my kids yet. Uh, so he was definitely first one that I met at seminary other than another one that I looked up to while I was there. Um, Mark, how are you? I'm doing uh, really well, Matt. I'm glad to be here and excited to be a part of tactical faith and part of your life and glad you're very much a part of mine. So, well, you've been a part of Tactical Faith since the beginning. You've written some of our articles. We have made a conscious effort in 2019 to bring more content, um, and we are excited to have Mark on board. In fact, he's part of a, a little advisory board that I have called Pastor Fellows. Um, I want to do more with that. I have for the last five years, but they, I have pastors, at least four or five, that I have on dial. Uh, that I just call and ask questions and have any kind of advice or prayer requests. They're usually there. Mark is actually one of those. Mark's a neat guy. Not only does he have his master's, uh, he has a couple of master's, one in divinity and one in, is it English? Yeah, that's right. So one in English, and you actually have your, your doctorate. Uh, tell me a little bit about who you are, uh, how you got to this point in your life, where you're at now, and what are your interests well, um, I've been married to a wonderful woman now for 26 years. I think that's the uh, greatest thing um, outside of my relationship with Jesus is my relationship with my wife, Sherry. And we have three sons. And um, uh, that is being a dad and a husband is um, a big part of who I am and what I think about a lot. Um, uh, you know, I. I think I got where I am now. I'm, I'm serving in Bristol, Tennessee, place where I grew up, and my wife and I are both from here. Um, I'm the pastor of a small Presbyterian church here, Windsor Avenue Presbyterian Church. It's a great little community, and I've learned a lot about what it means to shepherd a congregation through rough waters and um, what it means to be a shepherd in that capacity. I'm also uh, I teach at King University in the philosophy and religion department in the English department. And um, most recently, though, I was elected uh, by the good people of Bristol to serve as their representative um, in Sullivan County. So I'm a county commissioner uh, for this community. And all those things, I think, comprise what I think it means to be a pastor and a follower of Jesus. Um, all those things sort of culminate in and that sort of life together. So. so that's why I wanted to bring you on, and I'd like to bring you on more, because uh, you have perspective and experience in a whole different, wider range of things. And we, we've we been in kind of a discussion with, at least I have been in a discussion with uh, a nonprofit lately on the issue of influence. 
Um, you being a county commissioner, you being a teacher, you being a pastor, um, what does Christian influence mean to you? Um, the definition that I found while looking first is it influences the power to have an important effect on someone or something. If someone influences someone else, they are changing a person or a thing in an indirect but in an important way. Um, how would you feel about influence? What do you think it is and how, what part do you play in influencing the world? I, I think that that uh, definition is spot on. And, uh, and I, th I think that it means to be an influence um, is just that. And, and but, it, you know, I, I don't know, though, that the way that that def definition sort of rings out, it's like a positive sort of thing. But the reality is uh, people can be attempting to have a positive influence, but actually be pretty negative, um, especially if they stay neutral. Like I, I think um, I think it's important to be constantly mindful that you're gonna you're gonna influence people all the time. Um, you know, I think about the way I drive a car down the street is gonna influence someone. Uh, I could drive incredibly uh, slowly, and they're gonna get ticked off at me. So uh, I think that it's important for people to realize that whether they want to or not, they're going to have influence and they should be more proactive in the direction that, that influence takes, if that makes sense. It, it does. And we, me and you are, are in discussion. We always talk to each other at least once a week. And we have talked about uh, the church and is the church failing to influence the culture around us in the Western world in specifically our country, the United States. And in particular, uh, the Deep South, uh, which the church has had a massive influence in um, over the last 200 years. Um, but it seems to be waning a bit. Uh, how do you evaluate the church today and its influence on the people around it? Well, I, I think, Matt, um, I think for one, one thing is that the church often doesn't take into consideration um just what a position it's supposed to have as a cultural influencer um, you know years ago the a lot of there's the uh, you know the, the the moral right I guess and the church tried to really impact things through uh, through political relationships and um, but most of the time I think the way that the church has influenced things throughout history um, is uh, by what was it say in Matthew was it Matthew five about this the sense of being salt of the earth, um, it, it, and I think that is a that's a significant role that we're supposed to play in society in our communities, uh, being this constant present sometimes in very small yet significant ways. Um, most of the time, I think churches think that it has to be this really massive, broad-scale, uh, big glitz and glamour thing. But but a lot of times, Christian influence, I think, happens on these real day-to-day, -day, what might be seen as mundane sort of existence, rather than these big, huge, elaborate, uh, large-scale things. So Now, that's, that's real interesting. Uh, we had a group of, at Tactical Faith go to a conference in Mississippi. Uh, it was an apologetic conference, 
Um, and one of the things we were doing was interviewing people that were there. The one that put on the conference, his wife actually came to speak as well. And in this video that you can find on youtube.com uh, forward slash tactical faith, uh, Brett Kunkel's wife um, was talking about how she was a single mom. And when she was, she was a teen mom uh, before she met Brett. Um, and she had actually come to the faith in the community, the little small church community that's in lower California, which she lived. Uh, she said, nobody would know anything about it. They don't make, they don't make a name of themselves in their community, even, even today. But one of the things they did do was the men kind of surrounded her and so did the women and they, they protected her. They, they gave her community. The men would come over and fix her car and change her tire. The women would come over and help her. And, and she said she was just blanketed with this love of community at a time when she was feeling like she was the loneliness, you know, as a teen who was pregnant with no support. And that's what you're talking about, right? So the, here's a, that's a way to influence it, even if it's not big and showy. Right. Well, yeah, I, here's what I think. I, I think that what happens is uh, churches feel like, especially small churches, but the, the great majority of churches in this country are small. Um, 100 people, you know, maybe, maybe 150 people. And so what they see around them, though, is these massive, massive churches with big programs, big budgets, which is fantastic. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but the, the smaller churches actually have this opportunity to do a great work um, within their communities that larger churches may not actually be able to pull off because they have they have too much going on and, and, it, and it's it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be on these grand scales. It's kind of infiltrating the community which, where the Lord has placed you. Um, but doesn't that doesn't that seem to go counter to like when you think of influencer now? My my children think in terms of YouTube and yeah. how many subscribers you have. And when you use that terminology, like there's this new documentary on Netflix um, uh, about the the fire. Uh, they had this fire kind of uh, music party thing in an island somewhere, and uh, and it was a, an absolute mitigated disaster. You know, it was just and. It, but they were talking and using the word influence. You know, all they had to do in order to get this particular music um, weekend, like in, in terms of selling tickets and being successful, was they were paying these Instagram models who had million, two million followers. They were paying them $250,000 just to post about their event one time. And they were talking about the power of influence that these people had just on Instagram because of the, the amount of followers they had. Now, don't you think that kind of idea of influence has crept into how we see the church and how we see being an influencer? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's and that's totally spot on. But if you think about it, when the gospel moved into a community, if you read through the New Testament, if you read through uh, the account in Luke, I mean, what, what happened? Whenever the gospel entered a community— um, Paul would go to the synagogues or he would be out on the street. He was working a job and he's meeting with people, having conversation with them. Uh, they're bringing, they're bringing a, an offering when those people are suffering. And what happens is, you know, you have, 
you have cultural upheaval as a result of the gospel coming in, but the gospel didn't come in with these this massive caravan. It came in through these personal relationships, this life on life, and it had this dramatic impact. Um, and it had a great influence in those communities. I mean, you look at Ephesus, what happened there. I mean, I, I, what I think needs to happen within the Christian community and the church in particular, in terms of influences, is, is for churches to recognize that they are placed in a particular spot by the Lord Jesus to do a particular work that's that fits with that profile, fits with that context. Um, I mean, just one real personal example, uh, the, the church where I'm currently serving uh, has been around since, you know, 1906, uh, but, the, but the neighborhood around it changed. It used to be a, a, a church that a lot of people within the community attended, uh, people of influence in terms of their political position or their income or whatnot. Uh, but over the last 25 years, everything around that, the community around it changed dramatically. And the church didn't really change with it. Um, but now they have an opportunity uh, as they're, as the congregation numbers, the number of the people in the congregation has, has dwindled. Now they have an opportunity to really serve the, the community itself in terms of the homeless population. And they, uh, they've got to make a decision on, well, do we continue to do the things that we've always done? Um, or do we allow the Lord to use this building uh, and our facility? And in that way, they'll become a, a tremendous influence. I really think that's where the, the 21st century church is moving. Um, finding those places to do a real significant work that may not look like um, it may not have all the bang and the flash that um, you might get on YouTube, uh, um, but it's it's bringing the the power of the gospel to bear in in very tangible ways. Wow, I mean, I mean, you hit it—the idea of knowing what significant work is. But that takes what you said contextualization. It takes wisdom. It takes a church community um, showing some humility. Right, right. Uh, doing things where other people wouldn't want to do. I mean, the, the mere fact that they called to protect the widows um, and the orphans and little children in the first early church. I mean, those were the ones that nobody else cared for. It was the work that nobody else wanted to do. Right. But it was based on that work which the church was built on, and then it, and then it exploded. So let me get this. <laughs> I found this this article with this person who was. Um, about to, I think she was trying to understand how to write and be published. She said, one day my publisher sent me a letter asking me for a list of influences or influencers in my world. I had never heard anyone call anyone an influencer. So I wrote the publicist and asked, what is an influencer? Uh, and she said this. She responded, there are people with big mouths. With these people, when they speak, others listen. Now, I'd heard of big mouths, but I wasn't quite ready to see what a what that as a good group meant until she explained more influencers are people who lead when they speak or exhibit a behavior or byproduct others follow think of people like malcolm gladwell's and billy graham or bill hobbles or rick warren i need you to be like that so you can sell your book mm. <laughs> i mean 
I, we understand that, although in the world of publishing, what she means, but you're saying don't buy into that. Like, for, for somebody that's trying to get their book published, it would make sense. They should, they should contextualize it, understand that, you know, that's how publishing companies make, how they make money, you know, how they create capital to do other things. But a church model can't necessarily be based on that if they're trying to produce ambassadors or influencers. No, I, no, I think I think they will influence, without a doubt. I just think that's what I'm saying. Like the difference between the positive influence and one that's kind of I don't know less than positive. I, I, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I think that there there are tons of there's tons of that within the evangelical world that that people will they'll, they'll they love that. They'll, and they'll show up in droves uh, for that big. I mean, I love Billy Graham. That that dude could could, you know, fill a coliseum up in a heartbeat. And he loved Jesus, and he was trying to tell people about how to come to faith in Jesus. But he, he wasn't a pastor; he was an evangelist, right? Uh, and you know, uh, I mean, did, did he influence people? Yeah, he influenced people to, to come to faith in Jesus. That's great. But the job of the church, though, uh, you know, is this within this cultural context in which we're we are placed in terms of our local community, in terms of the the place where we live. You know, you've got lots of pastors who are beating themselves to death trying to be like Rick Warren. Well, my gosh, that dude is in, you know, Southern California. He's in a completely different context. So if he writes a book on how to be a pastor, I've got to take that with a grain of salt. You know, like I'm in Appalachia. You're right. You know, I mean, that's a different context. But but I think at the, at the core level, what it means to influence as a believer is this idea of what it means to be salt in that community and equipped to do that. And and that might feel because, you know, we, we love this notion within America of being you know, the, the next sensation, we want to, we want to be popular and, uh, we want to sell more books or we want to have a large people, lots of people come into our thing. Um, but in terms of like this heart change, that's what we're after. We're after seeing people's lives completely transformed by the power of the gospel, which is what we see in the new Testament. I mean, that's what we're hungry for. I am at least. So how do we get there? Uh, Mark, give somebody who's out there, um, some steps if they're a Christian and what are some steps to help you contextualize the area that you're in individually, where you're at in your community, where you're at at your work, your family. I mean, what if somebody's saying that's all well and good, how do I get to the point where I know where God wants me to be to influence the area around me? Well, first of all, I would say that where you are is exactly where God wants you to be. And you should know right, right then and there that your obligation then as a follower of Jesus is to be an influencer. And you're going to influence the people around you, no matter what, one way or the other. Um, so you're already doing the work of, of being an influence. You just have to think about in what direction are you influencing. No. Um, you know, I mean. Yeah. Let me tell uh, you. Let me. that. So I went to go see my grandfather today, my, and my, you know, we had a supposed quote-unquote snow day, even though it didn't snow here in Alabama. Uh, that's a whole nother podcast. 
Uh, but it rearranged our life for the day. So I said, you know what? It's my grandfather's uh, birthday. He's 91, 92 years old. He, he's at the VA here, real nice place in Pill City. We go, and I, we're sitting down in this lobby talking to my grandfather. My daughter's playing piano for these people. There are pe- people there that are probably in their 90s. They're in a wheelchair. Nobody's really talking. They're just sitting by the fire, just kind of staring at each other. There was another man, though, that was walking around who's probably in his mid-80s, but looked like he was 28 compared to these other people, right? <laughs> but he lived there. But quietly, he was going around sitting down next to these guys one by one. The whole time I was there, I, I finally noticed what, what was going on. And he was bringing them water. He was bringing the next guy a blanket. He was just talking to another guy, right? And then yeah. I was just awestruck. Like, nobody else was noticing this dude was doing it, maybe because he always does it. But what you're telling me is that's a picture of influence. Absolutely. And you're talking about older gentlemen who were who were all veterans. And in society that we live in today, they're, they're kind of thrown away, right? They're older. They have nothing else to give. They, you know, they, who cares if they're, you know, happy or not. But this guy did. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it, right? I mean, th- that's like wherever it is that you are, wherever it is you've been placed, it doesn't matter the context. I mean, think about the stories of the Old Testament, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, he's living faithfully, you know, even in the even in the lion's den. I mean, wow. when they when they're carried off, when they're carried off into exile, they're you know, they're they're lamenting and Jeremiah reminds them, you know, uh you get a bloom. You get a bloom where you've been planted, and you might have been planted in a dung heap, but brother. That's where God wants you to. That's tough, it, you know. It, because what we want is we want the big, the big flash and the bang. We want the big, you know, the big crowds. We, because it, it, it has its own value. I mean, I don't, it's not my cup of tea, but um, but what it really means is understanding the context around you and knowing automatically, first of all, there's no question wherever you are, you you need to be an influence to advance the gospel. I mean, that's what Paul says in, in Philippians, right? In Philippians one, uh, that's Paul, Paul's telling the, uh, the Philippians that, that what they, they think is the issue, the problem he's, he says is actually gone to advance the gospel, right? Well, he's writing from prison. I mean, he understands the, the context. He's supposed to be an influence, and and he and he is. Wow, it I have stinks. It, I have it right. I have it right here. So I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So right. it has become known throughout the whole, the whole empirical guard, and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Absolutely. I, I remember, I mean, you and I both had uh, the great opportunity to study under Frank Thielman uh, at Beeson, the great New Testament Greek scholar who never ages. Uh, so I remember sitting in class with him and he had this what he would probably consider a throwaway remark in fact i I preached a sermon once and frank happened to be there 
which was more than intimidating. But uh, but he but I said yeah, I remember Frank Thielman saying this in class one day that if anyone ever asks what's God's will for my life, just turn to them and say open up Philippians one twelve to fourteen. That's the that's the will of God. That the influence that we have is to advance the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. Wow. At every turn, no matter what it is that we're doing, our the influence we have is to advance the gospel. And you know, I think about the work of the local church and and we have to ask ourselves if it's what we're doing here advancing the gospel or something else. Um in my life, am I advancing the gospel or something else? And it, depending on how we answer that question, if you be honest about it, uh, determines a whole lot. Except, I mean, in terms of telling people, you know, step one, step two, the first step I would say is you're to be an influence for the gospel no matter what, no matter where you are, whatever context it is, whether you're in Birmingham, Alabama, or Bristol, Tennessee, doesn't matter. Uh, and the second is to ask the question, is what I'm doing advancing the gospel or is it advancing something else? And, that, and it doesn't, I think the third thing is to understand it, it's not, it, it doesn't have to be on these massive scales that may not be where the Lord has placed us. It, it may be that our job is to be this faithful witness walking into a seventh grade social studies room every day of the year and taking time every morning before the kids get there to pray over each desk, remembering the kids who sit at those desks and uh, to be a loving presence for Jesus in the classroom. Uh, Dang. It, yeah, I, I can see. I, it's so exciting to think of it that way because everything else at that point when you see your life is that, as asking the questions when you get up in the morning, how is Matt Burford going to advance the gospel? Not only that, not only from an evangelical perspective, but what about a devotional individual perspective? How is the gospel advancing in me? Right. Oh, absolutely. Right. That's, that's a beautiful question. Yes. So is it, it, let it advance in me so that it can advance outwardly. And in that way, hey, look, me and you understand we've been in places before we didn't want to be. We've right. been in positions we didn't want to be. You know, we, we've been in places that we probably have both been crying out to God, get me out of this and put me somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, we're not saying that doesn't happen. But when you say when your life is about advancing the gospel, everything else becomes a servant to that. And it just seems to me I'll, I'll go back to that documentary that I don't, I'm not recommending everybody watch it because it's got some rough stuff in it. They were lost people in that documentary trying to find influence and their entire life was built around. I want to have somebody else love so that I can feel significant and have meaning in my life. But when you say my life is devoted to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ and my life is devoted to him, all those other expectations and probably things about my life that, that probably would, make me depressed because I don't reach certain goals become subservient to something bigger, a bigger meaning that I can be a part of. I, I just think whatever you're, I'm, I'm buying whatever you're selling, Mark. And I think it's that particular kind of thing that could probably be a great salve to the church is remembering what its purpose is. Yeah. 
I, I just, the real challenge that I think of people in ministry, whether they're full-time pastors or elders and deacons or leaders in the church is that some of what we're talking about, Matt, is going to require a significant amount of change. He's going to make people evaluate, are the things that we're doing advancing the gospel or something else? And if it, if it comes back, something else, then of course you've got to do the hard work of changing the direction. And that usually gets a significant amount of pushback, which leads to conflict and all that other stuff. So it, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing, but I, I think, you know, I've gone back and started reading Eugene Peterson, the contemplative pastor again, which I think is a book for all believers. Um, and he reminds us that our, that the Christian life is a spiritual life. And that's a significant thing to realize that we're about spiritual things in, the, in a world that is very much uh, akin to the tangible and the experiential. Um, I think that's a, a critical thing, but you're right. I mean, I've, my, my wife, Sherry, and I have said it a number of times to our, our, our boys, our sons. They're young men, actually, not boys anymore. But we've told them, you know, we have long said that we serve the king and we go where he tells us to go. We do what he tells he tells us to do, but there as long as he tells us to be there because we we serve the will of the king. And I, I, it's hard to live that way, um, but we've we've been working to do that for a long time. All right. Dang. Uh, this is so good. And, and we would like to have you on more now that I mean, you've always been a part of the tactical faith team. Uh, there is so much more that I want to uh, talk to you about, um, but. Uh, tell people where you are. I know you got a you have a website that you you draw people to some of your writings. What what is that website they can go to? It's just markahutton.com. It's pretty simple. Yeah, a, you're so blog. much more than really you would say that you are. I mean you you've you've had awards for your poetry and your prose. I mean he's a wonderful writer, great editor, great teacher. I mean he has so much going for him. I've have, I've have learned so much. Um, from Mark uh, by being his brother, uh, I, I'm not sure it's reciprocal, but I'm telling you, you, sh- you should learn. You should learn a lot about Mark. He's he definitely is humble for Christ and wants to work towards advancing the gospel. Uh, we will probably try to talk with you next week, and uh, we have some great things ahead in our partnerships with you, uh, Mark. And we hope we can talk to you in the near future. I love you, Matt, and uh, love what's going on with Tactical Faith. Love your family. Enjoy talking with you. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot.